You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post. The New Hampshire primary is over, but does that mean the race for the Republican presidential nomination is over? Let's ask Aaron Blake, Washington Post senior political reporter and author of the Campaign Moment newsletter. Aaron, welcome back to First Look. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Okay, so this week you wrote that Donald Trump's win in wins in Iowa and New Hampshire were, quote, healthy, but not overwhelming. What warning signs do you see for the Trump campaign? Yeah, so look, I think there are two questions here. One is, is Donald Trump on a glide path to the Republican nomination? And the answer to that question, by all accounts, is yes. New Hampshire was an unusually uh, conducive state to Nikki Haley succeeding, and she still lost by double digits. So that augurs very well for Donald Trump winning the Republican nomination. On the flip side of that, you do have a primary in a swing state in which 46% of voters turned out and voted against the former incumbent president. Uh, Within those numbers, we see a number of reasons why Republicans and independents who lean Republican may be reluctant to pull the lever for Donald Trump in the general election. Uh, It was, I think, 35% of voters on Tuesday said that they would be so dissatisfied with Trump as the nominee that they would not ultimately vote for him. Now, New Hampshire is an unusual state. This is an electorate that brings in lots of very moderate people. Even 6% of people said that they were Democrats. But we've seen this in both Iowa and New Hampshire to some extent, that there is a dug-in group of people who say that they do not want to vote for Donald Trump in November. It's bigger than the number of people who say the same for Joe Biden, and that presents problems for (coughs) Donald Trump in the general election at least. So the the next contest is going to be in uh, South Carolina on February 24th, notable also because it is the home state of its the former governor, Nikki Haley, who is the only Republican other than Donald Trump still in the race for the nomination. Um, and Trump holds a, a, a pretty comfortable lead in that state. First, can she hang on for the next month? I mean, that's that's a really big question. The way that the primary calendar has shaken out here uh, with a month basically between contests is not ideal for somebody who's kind of the insurgent candidate who doesn't seem to have much of a path. Uh, The best thing for her would have had, you know, been having momentum coming out of New Hampshire, have people kind of reevaluate their preconceived notions about the race, that hasn't happened. Um, We have seen, you know, she's fundraising relatively well in the last few days here. She's pushing forward with a campaign schedule. I think what you're going to see is when we start seeing some actual polling out of South Carolina, a lot of it is very, very old. We don't have a lot of very recent polling. If she's not at least closing the gap significantly, and South Carolina does poll like a lot of these other states with Trump up by 30, 40 points, if that doesn't close over the next couple of weeks here as we see some of these polls, I think it's going to be very hard for her to justify moving forward. And certainly no candidate wants to go to their home state and get drubbed by the uh, by the other candidate. That that would be a very significant setback and would probably, you know, erase any doubt about where this is headed. Ah, so that takes care of my second question. If she does hang on until the South Carolina primary and she loses the South Carolina primary, can is she done? Can you continue to run for president if you lose your home state? I mean, you can, um, but if you throw that on top of the Iowa and New Hampshire losses, again, New Hampshire, a state that was much more favorable to a candidate like her, uh, I think it's very difficult. You know, South Carolina is her home state, 
she has done well there in elections. There was the 2010 gubernatorial primary where she came out of nowhere and beat three very established male politicians in the state. Um, and so there is some precedent for her succeeding with that electorate. Um, but it is a Southern state. Donald Trump does very well in the South in Republican primaries. Um, and you have you know, a situation in which you ask, are these very conservative voters in the state more loyal to somebody who was you know, the governor or more loyal to Trump? And I think the question, the answer to that question is, is overwhelmingly probably going to be Trump. Um, but, you know, at least, you know, I think we're talking about very narrow paths to victory for Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. Having her home state be next at least gives her a plausible argument for something that could turn the race a little bit for her. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very unlikely, but, you know, we'll have to see what these polls look like moving forward. Hey, Aaron, what do you what do you make of the short lived effort by a Maryland member of the Republican National Committee to pass a resolution to declare Trump the presumptive nominee? Trump, Trump came out against it and the resolution was withdrawn. But could it come back? I kind of doubt it at this point. Uh, the other thing to mention about this is it wasn't just a random member of the Republican National Committee. This was David Bossy, who is a Trump ally. Um, so I think there are questions about whether this was, you know, something that he freelanced on or whether he got the campaign's approval to try and press forward with it. Um, and then, you know, of course, we saw Trump, you know, basically say, I don't want to do that. And then the resolution was withdrawn. I think what we saw at the very least was you know, there is some reluctance to go that far in declaring him the presumptive nominee. We have all these endorsements from Republicans who are basically trying to bring the contest to an end, but declaring this over when Donald Trump has won one twentieth of the delegates that he needs uh, would certainly take things to another level and it would really run counter to the way Trump has talked about primary processes before. He was talking in 2016 a lot how about, about how the DNC rigged things for Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, it's hard to understand something being more rigged than declaring the contest over when you have 61 delegates uh, mm -hmm. who are declared at this point. And so it seems to be, have been a very kind of ill thought out plan. And it seems to be squashed pretty quickly as well. Yeah, you you <laughs> you know, it's something when Donald Trump says you've gone too far. Um, Blake, Aaron, you also wrote this week um, that the growing number of gaffes that Trump uh, is making on the campaign trail may cut into his polling edge over President Biden uh, on the question of, of mental acuity, mental sharpness. What mistakes is he making and, and how does the Trump campaign hope to counteract them? Yeah, so there was um, last week, I believe it was, when Trump was talking about January 6th and he uh, you know, talked about Nikki Haley instead of Nancy Pelosi supposedly being in charge of security at the Capitol. Uh, you know, he seemed to stumble over his words and offer some nonsensical uh, comments at a rally on on Monday in New Hampshire. Um, the thing is that, you know, we have seen Donald Trump emerge more on the campaign trail than he had had to before because New Hampshire was at least somewhat competitive. And that didn't go well. And it, it brought out a lot of things that I think flew beneath the radar from last year where he had these kind of moments where he seemed to you know, mix up Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden, uh, things like that. And I think what that does potentially is, you know, Donald Trump doesn't project as old as Joe Biden does. That's just the way it is. And, and voters are much more concerned about Joe Biden's age at this point. If you look at all the polls, mental sharpness is a more of a liability for Joe Biden than it is for Donald Trump. That wasn't the case in 2020. It is the case now. 
I think what the Biden campaign is doing is they are trying to highlight these to really kind of uh, muddy that issue somewhat and, and, and mitigate the, the liability that this has been for him in the polls. And to the extent Trump continues to emerge on the campaign trail and has these moments, that's going to assist in that effort. Uh, last question for you, Aaron. You had a column yesterday ranking nine potential vice presidential picks for, for Donald Trump. Who's the strongest candidate at this point and why, real quickly? I think you got to look at Elise Stefanik, um, uh, somebody who's in House leadership, has turned very loyal to Trump. Uh, she's somebody who a lot of people have very good things to say about. If you want to go for a more pragmatic pick, you would go for somebody like, I think, a Tim Scott, who would be maybe the least kind of objectionable candidate that you could have, somebody who everybody in the party seems to like, both MAGA and the other side of the party. And so I think those are kind of the two that make the most sense, but you never know with these things. It's, it's in the hands of one person, basically, and it can always go any number of different directions. Right. Um, within an hour. <laughs> Aaron Blake, Washington Post senior political reporter and author of the Campaign Moment newsletter. Thanks for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Jonathan. Time for the Opinions Roundtable. So let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post columnists Megan McArdle and Jennifer Rubin. Megan, Jennifer, welcome back to First Look. Nice to be here. Thanks for um, having me. So, Megan, is the Republican nomination fight over? I mean, Nikki Haley is trailing in the low sense on the predicted betting market, which I think is roughly the chances that Trump has a disabling health event in the next nine months. So I would say that barring uh, what I heard a Republican consultant call um, an actuarial intervention, uh, I think the race is over. Jennifer, what, what did you make of the short-lived effort to declare Trump the presumptive nominee? I think it's silliness, but it is indicative of something that we um, don't mention often enough. Uh, often enough, this is a cult. Um, this is a cult of personality. This is a movement that operates on emotion, on adulation, on irrationality. So it doesn't surprise me um, when you have pictures and trading cards of Trump looking like Jesus that they should decide to coronate him early. So I think we have to keep in mind, this is not really a normal uh, Republican primary. It's not a normal primary at all. It's a display of this cult-like behavior. Um, he uses these uh, rallies not to communicate with his people, not to make arguments, uh, but to play the victim, to instill anger, to spread his blood purity and other fascist notions. Um, what we are seeing is uh, something we don't usually see in American politics, which is essentially a fascist leader grip hold of his party and then try to regain power through the ballot box. So then given, given what Jennifer just said, Megan, um, in a Reuters poll out yesterday, uh, Donald Trump has a six point lead over President Biden. So if he's all these things that Jennifer said, uh, can Donald Trump expand his support beyond that MAGA slash cult base in order to win election? I think, look, I think there's a lot of things going on here. One is that, you know, if you look at New Hampshire, but if you also look at the polling, Trump is doing better with groups that we just thought were natural Democratic constituencies, uh, non-white voters, young voters, 
came out more for Trump than for Haley in New Hampshire. Um, and so non-white voters came out more for Trump than for Haley in, in New Hampshire. She is the candidate of kind of the white upper middle class, which used to be a big Republican constituency and is now shifting Democratic. And so I think it's actually a little bit hard to tell. A lot's going to depend on the economy um, and specifically where the economy is by June. After June, economic growth doesn't matter so much either way. It just takes the electorate a little while to process it. Uh, right now, that looks pretty good for Joe Biden. Against that is all of the stuff you've been talking about. Joe Biden looks really old. Um, you know, I have I did not vote for Trump. I'm not a big fan, but I will say he looks younger. He acts younger than than Joe Biden does. And I think that with the youth vote, that may matter. Even if it did, you know, it's not like he's going to command a majority of young voters. But if he can depress the turnout on the Democratic side or just pick up a few percent that hurts Democrats. If he can get to 40% with Latino voters, that makes it very hard for Democrats to get across the finish line. And so I think, you know, I think we don't know. He is a bad candidate, he's bad for the country, but, um, you know, a lot of the things that I really care about in a candidate, as I keep getting shown, are not the things that the average American voter really cares about in a candidate. So Jennifer, let's pick up on, I was gonna ask about this, about Megan's tweet a little later, but let's um, let's talk about it, about the age issue. Um, it was meant, I mean, thought would be an issue that would help Republicans because of President Biden's occasional gaps. But recently we have seen multiple times where Donald Trump has had his own senior moments. Most recently, Aaron talked about it in the last segment, about um, in New Hampshire, where he continually confused Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi on January 6th. Um, has, given what Trump is doing and the constant banging on Biden's age among Republicans, has the age issue been neutralized? Let me just pause to say, I have a piece out today which says Trump is overrated. Um, <laughs> and in particular, looks at those New Hampshire numbers, including the independents, where he absolutely bombed. Um, and I think he really is overrated. Um, I wouldn't put too much stock in polls nine or 10 months out, particularly when uh, apparently only 74% of the people in that poll had made up their mind already, which is sort of mind blowing. Um, but getting back to this age issue, Let's be honest, the age issue was an artificially created issue by Republicans that the media ran with for months, banging and banging on him. Trump has been out of his gourd 40 years now. And again, the media has not focused on it. He has been saying crazy stuff. He's been slurring his speech. He's been fumbling and bumbling and taking those little tiny steps down the ramp at the uh, West Point. The press simply has not paid attention to it. In part, I think it is this constant effort to le level the playing field, to create artificial and kind of concocted deficits so that it looks like, well, Trump may be a criminal and he may be a actress, but Biden is old. Um, and so you get this kind of coverage. In fact, Biden is quite sharp. He discusses policy very eloquently. He rides a bike. He's active. Donald Trump is grossly morbidly overweight, um, does slur his words, has for a long time has been saying crazy stuff. Um, and this is the guy, of course, who con is convinced that he actually won. He has all the makings of a narcissistic personality disorder. So it's 
perhaps a return to reality that suddenly the press is forced to cover it because a Republican is actually saying what's been in front of our noses all along. And Nikki Haley finally, finally is saying he's out to lunch. How can you have someone like this in the White House? But of course, he's been that way for years now. So I think it is a healthy sign, first of all, that the press is covering his plans to turn America into his own dictatorship, um, which, frankly, they should have been all along. And secondly, that this guy is out of his gourd, um, that he's unfit on multiple levels to be president of the United States. I don't think that this should be looked at in terms of horse race politics. I think this should be looked at as why has the press only now come around to covering the real Trump as he really is. I you know, have to really strenuously disagree with that on multiple okay. levels. I think the idea that the press failed to communicate our utter contempt for Donald Trump is insane. I mean, this is all we did for like six years is tell everyone how bad Donald Trump was. I did it too. I think he's terrible. But the idea that somehow the American electorate has not had the mainstream media communicating that Trump is dangerous, corrosive to the country, uh, a, a barbarian, I think like we obviously did. And I will say this, look, I was on the campaign trail in 2020 before COVID hit. And I stood, I think the, the press covered up the fact what everyone who was at the rallies could see, which was that Joe Biden looked incredibly old and frail. I used to stand at the back of rallies and wonder if he was gonna make it through the whole thing. I watched him go off against a random nice 13 year old girl who asked him a question in a kind of weird cranky grandpa way that really was troubling and reporters talked about it, but no one wrote about it. And the fact is that are not writing about it didn't keep voters from noticing that this man looks old. I am not saying that Trump is sharp. He is not sharp. He is an idiot. I have been saying that for eight years. But that is a separate thing from when you look at the two of them. I've been to rallies with both of them. When you look at the two of them, Trump is just obviously comes off as much more vigorous. And I'm afraid sharper. He can speak extemporaneously in a way that Biden clearly kind of cannot. And I well, think that that is going to be a problem. For my side of this, I am rooting for Biden. But my issue is like, I think that we have to grapple with the reality of what voters are seeing rather than hope that if we can work the media refs, somehow we can make Trump not be a contender. He is a contender. That's really unfortunate. I wish it weren't true, but it just is. That's actually not the point I was making. The point I was making is that the press has not covered Trump's mental um, defects, um, that it has cleaned up his context for years. It has um, characterized his rambling rants as arguments. Um, it has really never taken seriously the deep analysis of psychiatrists, psychologists, and frankly, historians who have covered fascists. So you can vent your spleen all you want, and I'm not surprised that hasn't moved people, but that's a different matter than really conveying who he is, how he operates, what his mindset is. Now, it is also the case that Trump has rallies that are akin to fascist rallies. These people are true believers. And he gets as worked up, frankly, as um, any fascist dictator and any fascist authoritarian figure in conveying anger. But what he is saying is insane. And I think um, the real depth of the malignancy of his message and of his um, conduct really has not been adequately portrayed. Now, 
Do I think that Joe Biden has deficits? Yes. But I also think that the whole age bit, which has been a meme through Republican right-wing politics for years, um, has been vastly overblown. Is the guy who's like so old, able to make a 24-hour trip to uh, a war zone, is the guy who's supposedly, you know, out of it, able to run circles around the Republicans in making debt deals and passing more legislation. So if this guy is out of it and somehow feeble-minded, um, I don't know what that says about the Republicans. So I do think that there are two things going on here. One, he has not been adequately covered because the press continues to play this as a normal election with two candidates and focus on the horse race politics of it all. And the second is that we have a very dangerous fascist movement in the United States. And unless people across the political spectrum from center right all the way to left unify, he will get elected. And that will be frankly the end of American democracy. You know, the key test will, uh, in all of this will be, to my mind, whether Donald Trump will take the debate stage against Nikki Haley in during, you know, in the primaries. Uh, and if he does go on to become the Republican nominee, take the debate stage with President Biden. We could solve this this debate with that one uh, one appearance. But whether he's out of his mind, out of his gourd or not, he ha Donald Trump has extraordinary power within the Republican Party right now. We're watching it. Um, exerting itself in negotiations on Capitol Hill uh, in the Senate over um, a combined immigration um, foreign assistance funding bill, where he um, basically told folks, "Don't, don't take the deal. We don't want to give Biden a win." And alarm bells went off on on Capitol Hill when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell basically said. Trump doesn't want it, so that means we might not we might not get it. I would love to get um, both of you to talk about your your view of what's go what's going on here, because I think Claire McCaskill on Morning Joe today made a very good point. It wasn't that Leader McConnell was telling his members don't vote for this bill. She thinks, and I actually agree with her, because McConnell is wily. She, she believes McConnell publicly said this to put the albatross around Trump's neck. And so if it goes down, he, he takes the blame and gets it off of, gets it off of Senate Republicans. Uh, Megan, just broadly speaking, what do you make of Trump's impact on Capitol Hill, legislating such as it is on Capitol Hill right now? I mean, you know, it's it's interesting that for four years he could barely do any legislating and now he's having influence that he's not in office. But, you know, I think McConnell may just have spoken the truth, which is if Donald Trump thinks that this benefits him, and I'm afraid it, the, the images of what's happening at the border do benefit him, um, he, can, he has enough sway in the party that his loyalists will vote against it and there's not really much you can do about that. I think this goes back to why Trump is bad for America and corrosive. Um, but I think that, you know, this is this is why we should not elect this man president. But I think it is just an unfortunate reality that he is now the front runner. He has an enormous amount of power. His party is terrified of him. If they would unite and get rid of him, as they should have after January 6th, then at multiple times before that, they wouldn't be in this fix. But they now are. And it is extremely difficult to fight against him because there's always enough people who are afraid of getting primaried by his voters or who believe that they can ride this horse to further fame and fortune, um, that you cannot get deals done in the Republican Party without him.
Jennifer. Are you, are you muted, Jennifer? John? Oh, there no. you are. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, what was the question? Um, what, what do you make of um, Trump and his the influence he's exerting on Capitol Hill. And uh, to Megan's point, Leader McConnell bowing to reality that if Trump isn't for it, then the likelihood of a deal getting done d is diminished. I would like to think that Claire McCaskill is right and this is some kind of double bag shot, you know, corner. Um, but I don't think he's quite that clever and that devious. Um, I think um, they let the cat out of the bag. And now the Democrats, of course, are going to make incredible hay out of it. Um, as none um, other than Liz Cheney said the other day, even for them, this is incredibly cynical. Um, and they undercut, of course, their own argument on the border by being able to say, well, we had a deal and you guys didn't want it. You want America to fail. And this, of course, is not the first time Trump has said in so many words he wants America to fail. He also wants the stock market to crash. So this is not a very good look for Donald Trump. But of course, it is indicative of the fact that he doesn't have a party. He has a cult and these people will not cross him. So I think it may be very difficult. And remember, this is not just about the border. This is about the survival of Ukraine. If we do not return to spending uh, and providing aid for, for uh, Ukraine, they will fail. Putin will have an enormous victory. Democracy will be dealt a setback. And the rest of Eastern Europe had better beware because this would show, I think, for the entire world that America simply does not have the staying power, does not have the wherewithal to defend democracy where it matters. So it is um, both a statement on their desire to um, harm America and also their infatuation with dictators and aggressive tyrants around the world that they would sink this um, rather than give Biden uh, some credit for having uh, both addressed the border and um, defended democracy around the world. Hey, Megan, real quickly, um, you know, nine Republicans, as soon as Leader McConnell said what he said, nine Republicans basically ran to the cameras and said, uh, no, we, we don't think so. Do you think the Senate will have the gumption to not only release the finally the text of this legislation, but actually vote on it and defy that pass it and defy the House to not go along. Um, would I? Would it be interesting to see Republicans become a profile in courage? Absolutely. <laughs> has that happened in the last nine years? No, it has not. So I would not bet on it. <laughs> Jennifer, what do you would you bet on it? Uh, I would not bet on it. Um, but um, I also think it's possible that they do something to kind of patch up Ukraine so that they're not left holding the bag um, and being accused of Putin loyalists. Um, so perhaps they move some money around from the defense budget or something like that. Um, but uh, I think um, when Trump says jump, they say how high? And uh, that's sort of the end of the discussion. Well, speaking of end of the discussion, we are at the end of our discussion. Megan McArdle, Jennifer Rubin, thank you both, as always, for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.